Hello and welcome to the Numlock Podcast. I am Walt Hickey. Uh, the Numlock Podcast is a once a month or so adaptation of the Numlock Sunday edition from the Numlock Newsletter. Uh, and then this week, uh, we have Sarah Fryer. She runs Big Tech coverage at Bloomberg, and she is the author of No Filter, the Inside Story of Instagram, and we are talking all about Facebook, Instagram, the new revelations that have come out this week, as well as some of her reporting from her book and and otherwise. Uh, The book, No Filter, uh, is actually just out in paperback, and so if you haven't had a chance to read it, now is a perfect time to pick it up. It comes out in paperback this week. Uh, Sarah can be found on Twitter at Sarah Fryer. And the book can be found wherever books are sold. Uh, And so I hope that you check that out, and I hope that you enjoy this interview. Thanks for listening. Sarah Fryer, you are the author of No Filter, the inside story of Instagram that is, you know, this week or or recently coming out in paperback. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit about the book? So No Filter is the first book to give the behind the scenes story of how Instagram came to be so powerful, have so much a hold over our culture, over our economy, over our sense of self. um, And and I think that the paperback comes out at a time that the the app has just become even more relevant. You would think that an app that was about measuring us socially and, and sharing our experiences would maybe dwindle during a deadly pandemic that forces us to stay inside. But in fact, when we remained at home, we scrolled more uh, and we shared more. And some of the in-person stuff we were doing became on Instagram. And, and some of the small businesses that were, uh, you know, trying to, to figure out how to sell stuff with their doors closed shifted to Instagram. So it's just become uh, an even more relevant to story, story today. I know I'm biased in saying that. <laughs> um, but with the book, what I tried to do is I, I didn't want to just... Uh, tell the corporate story. I wanted to tell the story of how those internal decisions affected us on the outside, um, change our culture, change our world. And hopefully people who read it will feel that way. Yeah. I, again, I really enjoyed the cultural parts. I enjoyed the like the rise of influencer culture and how kind of cultivated that all was. And I mean, yeah, to your point, like that has only gotten more significant in the past year. Um, there's been a couple of recent revelations about Facebook and Instagram and Instagram in particular that, you know, echo some of the stuff that you wrote about and just kind of reveal some some more documentation going into it. Do you want to talk a little bit about what the past two or three weeks have been for for Facebook and Instagram? Oh, my goodness. They've had um, they've had to reckon with some truths here from the Wall Street Journal. They had an incredible uh, leak of documents. They called them the Facebook files, and they just you know were probably very painful if you're a Facebook employee because these are the stories that they've tried to tamp down on um, when Congressmen have asked or men and women have asked. Facebook, you know, is Instagram harmful for teens? Their response is always, oh, the the research is mixed. Well, shows definitively in their own internal research that yes, they know that it's harmful for teen body image for girls and boys. And, and that kind of thing, I mean, 
the journal had several parts of the investigation, some of them had to have to do with Facebook Inc. Um, one really uncovered how the company does not have appropriate staff in countries where it's in languages where it just simply doesn't have people to moderate that content. This, this is a product used by more than 3 billion people around the world. And when you consider the fact that um, it's more than half of the world's internet connected population, uh, those are active users. So people who don't use it maybe did once in the past. This has, these, these products have just enormous impact and they're all controlled by a single person who doesn't want us to think anything badly about them. And so they consistently obfuscate the truth. They, they make sure that there's nothing out there that could be negative for Facebook or Instagram. And in doing so um, are totally disingenuous because of course there's stuff that is, that is real awful that is happening on their platforms. Yeah. Like on that note, like one thing I really liked about your book was that it was kind of very personal describing the relationship between Kevin Seistrom and Mark Zuckerberg. And, you know, at the time it can kind of be like, oh, is this just, you know, drama between two dudes who are very powerful? But like, to your point, like it is kind of one person controls this entire ecosystem. Do you want to get into that? Well, I think. I think it's a huge challenge for Facebook that they have all the voting power, all of the control uh, centered in this one person who has not surrounded himself with anyone that will critique him. Um, and he, he just simply isn't trusted anymore. If you're using Facebook, you've, you've been um, lied to so many times or you've been misled so many times that it's simply... Uh, is not a product that you can can trust, um, at least not under Mark Zuckerberg's leadership. So I, I think that this um, this company has only given him more power over time. Um, I think that in the Instagram story, you'll see that he is working to consolidate power at Facebook, taking more control over the future of Instagram, more control over the future of WhatsApp and Oculus, and integrating that into the core product and Facebook Inc. Um, is not as important as Facebook, the social network. I mean, that's really the, the core of it all. Um, that's his, his brainchild that he wants to survive. <laughs> and it's, it's just, um, it's just incredible how the company is, is attempting to pretend like it doesn't do anything wrong I was talking with some colleagues the other day and we were talking about the fact that Facebook doesn't just come out and say, listen, the reason we do it this way is because we're a business and we need to make money. And if we did it the way you're saying we should do it, well, that might be better for our users, but we lose a ton of money. Right. Like that would be honest. Yeah. The tobacco companies did that for years and, and it's a, it's a viable, straightforward argument in the United States. You know, we have a fiduciary obligation. Yeah. Like, you know, you, there is something said for, I have a fiduciary responsibility to my shareholders to max my profit, which is why I'm making the decisions that I'm making. And like, has never said that ever. It's always like, no, it's, it's, it's good. They're saying, they're saying, listen, we have our, the interests of our users first and foremost, we privacy is at the foundation of our business. Um, you know, we, well-being, we're making incredible investments, all of these things over and over and over become these these lines in PR. But ultimately, yeah, Facebook is a business and their main objective is to grow. And yeah, internally, that's that's clear. 
can you get into their growth? Cause uh, you know, even in the past year, like it's been substantial, like since we last chatted. Yeah. So like I said, with the pandemic, there were fewer things that you could do in person. Um, whether that was shopping or going to a concert or hanging out with your friends and Facebook and especially Instagram took advantage of that shift and moved a lot of our offline activity online, um, especially in the case of small businesses. Now they're, they're leaning hard into, into content creators. And I think that they're trying to make this trend exist beyond the pandemic, um, whenever that may end. And, <laughs> and, you know, that's, that's the case with, with all the tech companies. You saw Amazon get more powerful. You saw Google get more powerful because these companies are now the infrastructure of our society. They are, um, they're almost as crucial as, um, any of the roads we use. It's, it's yeah. just like, this is how we, how we live is through Facebook, Instagram, um, Amazon, Google, especially in a, in a mode where we've been forced virtually. Yeah. And, and you know, to that end, like, you know, what you're kind of describing there is, is getting utility-esque, right? And, and, you know, we've seen some stuff from the FTC this year. Uh, what's kind of been going on on that end? Because it seems like they've been playing a little bit of tennis with the courts. <laughs> yes. So what you're referring to is a monopoly claim from the FTC that Facebook has just way too much power over our social interactions. And so much so that it is considered a monopoly. And that monopoly has been enriched by the purchases of Instagram and WhatsApp uh, purchases that the FTC considers to be anti-competitive. Mm. Because if you look at, at what um, internal documents show, and if you, if you read no filter, of course, you will see that the reason that Mark Zuckerberg <laughs> buys Instagram is to quash a competitor. Really? The entire I, reason? Well, absolutely. I mean, <laughs> I, he would rather own it than have someone else own it. He would like for Facebook to, um, to be somewhere in mobile at the time. They didn't have really a mobile strategy. And, um, and one of the things that points to this, it, there's an anecdote in my book um, where Instagram comes and joins Facebook HQ. Um, the acquisition, it was announced for a billion dollars is the, the most anyone had ever paid for a mobile app. And in the first weeks that they're there, uh, the growth team at Facebook says, I'm sorry, but we really can't help you grow until we find out if you are a threat to sharing on Facebook. Huh. So they ran a study to see if Instagram was threatening Facebook. Uh, they were willing to let it wither this incredible investment if it was going to be a problem for Facebook down the road. And then you see that later um, when Zuckerberg sees Instagram becoming more popular uh, really on that ramp to a billion users, it coincides with this time that we're all scrutinizing Facebook a lot more after uh, Donald Trump is elected president and the spread of, of misinformation on Facebook has scrutinized violent live video, et cetera, et cetera. Um, privacy scandals come about and Zuckerberg is thinking the reason people may not be using in Facebook so much is because they have this alternative that we've been pumping resources into. So maybe the problem is that we should be directing more attention from Instagram to Facebook. 
Yeah, I remember. Yeah, and it, it's you know the root of a lot of personal difficulties between the founders and it was and jealousy. It, really, and that seems like a fascinating way to run a business. Yeah, because he owns Instagram, right? <laughs> he owns this product that's incredibly successful, and he doesn't want it to to uh, cannibalize. That's the word they use internally. He doesn't want it to cannibalize Facebook. Again, like that sounds a little like, you know, buying rival businesses in order to guarantee that they don't undermine one. Like, I think that there's a that there's a word for that, but but it momentarily eludes me. But like, uh, it just seems like it's really that's anti-competitive, right? That's like the <laughs> that's the one basic anti-competitive thing. You're oh, taking you some... buying something so that they won't compete with you is anti-competitive. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Definition. But but, you know. The law is is a little squishy on this. Like, if we, if you and I look at this and say, okay, is Instagram a part of Facebook's strategy to quash competitors? Of course it is. They have they have a um, a version of every competing product. They have reels right. to compete with TikTok. They have um, IGTV to compete with YouTube. They have um, highlights to compete with. You know, all sorts of there are there's like this infrastructure of things. If you break down every product in Instagram, um, it correlates with something else outside. And Instagram's purpose within Facebook is really to be the product that brings in that youth audience. Uh, and compared to other products at Facebook, um, they're doing a much better job. And that's all that's about that longevity. That's about the continued domination of Facebook around the world. Yeah, if I may, like one so one of my favorite things in your book was how you just like the initially Facebook was read by Twitter and they used Instagram to really kind of poach stuff away from Twitter. And like, I'm almost like kind of wondering like, is Facebook the quarterback in this situation? And they're using Instagram kind of like as a lineman to really just kind of be the thing that hits the threats in order to preserve home base of Facebook. Yeah. So I, I, I would say that that's a, a pretty good interpretation because when you look at something like, like reels, right? Do we need reels? Like, do people need that on on Instagram? What when when Instagram still had its founders and they copied Snapchat stories? Um, right. Snapchat was a threat for sure, especially among that younger demographic. But there was also a real reason that they needed to do it for their user base is because people were incredibly anxious about posting on Instagram. And that anxiety was actually bad for growth. Because if you don't think that your life is worth posting about, you are going to post less. And when you look at Instagram, it's not going to be full of content from your friends who are also all anxious. It's going to be content from celebrities. And then you'll think like nobody hangs out here anymore and the app dies. That was the thesis of why they did Instagram stories. So there would be some lower pressure way to post on Instagram. But when uh, you think about reels, the reason for reels was, oh my God, everybody loves TikTok. We need reels. And then you are Mark Zuckerberg solving a business problem. You're not Instagram solving a user problem. Right. Got it. And and it seems like TikTok is really you know, for giving them a real run for their money. I know that like Snapchat took a ding from the adaptation of stories, but is actually kind of still doing decently to this day. But TikTok really seems like it's been the first thing that really has kind of stolen Instagram's thunder, particularly in the past year. Well, I would say that that TikTok 
yes, because in part because Facebook is so determined to move in the same direction that TikTok is moving. One of the things that's interesting about Snapchat is they're trying to do things um, in their own unique way. It's a little quirky and, and it doesn't necessarily fit with what you expect every social network to be doing. Um, but Instagram is kind of just hitting back with the same play. And I think that that in that sense, you, you get an app that strays a little bit from its purpose. And, and when you think about what Instagram's purpose is now, it used to be very clear. Um, there's a place where you go to share the, the highlights of, of your life and, and make your life appear more beautiful and perfect than it actually is and discover, uh, you know, corners of, of society that maybe you didn't know about before. Um, now you have, you have reels, you have IGTV, you have, regular posts, you have explore, you have all of these different components of Instagram. Um, you have direct messaging, which is combined with Facebook messenger. You have, uh, text posts, you have, uh, you know, memes. It's, it's just like, it's everything to everyone. Yeah. And, and I think that that becomes, that becomes difficult. That's really interesting. There, there's one thing that I wanted to talk about from your book uh, that has to do kind of with the recent news and that has to do with kind of teens using Facebook. Uh, a lot of what you cover in the book is just kind of how development happened on the platform for a while that really came from its user base. Like teens came up with the idea of making Finstas and they had to find out why are Finstas a thing. And, and then I guess what I'm kind of curious is like, as we kind of saw with some of the recent revelations, like this isn't really a particularly healthy platform for its users. So can you just kind of expand on like some of the stuff that you wrote about in the book when it came to youth users and then what, how that kind of reflects on, on some of the things that we've seen in the past two weeks? Yeah. So, so I talked a little bit about this, about the the intense anxiety for posting on Instagram and, and why that was bad. But Instagram didn't really look into this in in any formal way until around 2015. And when they did, they heard a lot from teens about how how hard it was on them to keep up appearances on Instagram. And teens had all sorts of strategies, like some would just like delete their entire grid of photos every month and post mm -hmm. a new one or, or um, they would try to find a way to, um, as you said, have a, a, a fake Instagram, which is really their real Instagram. And of course they use things like, like filters for their faces to make themselves appear um, more attractive, get rid of their acne, whiten their teeth, whatever the case may be. Um, the way that Instagram learned a lot more about teens is they would have this, this like Thursday, teen observation where they would have uh, a bunch of, of product people, sometimes including Instagram CEO, sitting at this table and there's like this one-way mirror and the teens are on the other side discussing the new products that Instagram is building. And they often don't know that it's Instagram building them, but all the things that they're saying about it are, are being observed by this like internal team drinking a bottle of wine oh, wow. on Thursday night. And, that's <laughs> and that's how product development works at Facebook. I mean, there's, there's a lot of focus grouping, a lot of observation. And the goal isn't like, you know, let's make sure this is a, a product that's healthy for our users as much as it's, are people going to use this? Is it going to increase their time spent on the platform? Is it going to increase engagement with Instagram? Is it going to, you know, improve our retention? All of those things. Yeah. And, and 
remind me, like, I think that some of the things that came out was that they were, that there were opportunities to install fixes, whether it was on Facebook or Instagram, I, I don't recall which, but that got shot down because engagement did not go up. Right. If there is a solution to some well-being problem that also dings at engagement, it's it's really just not going to work. I mean, look what they did. They, they were going to get rid of likes. Um, and they'll say that they did, but the likes still exist. You could just hide them. And it's, it, that's the way that they've done a lot of their well-being initiatives. Like, for example, if you want to not see all of the comments that are calling you a slut, you just mute the word slut, right? Oh, God. But that doesn't mean that you're not getting those comments. And if you're being attacked, you kind of want to see it. Uh, so I, I think I think that that's the problem with likes, too. It's like, if you're hiding your likes, but you're still getting that score every day on your photos, it's like, it's like telling someone, you know, you can have a test, but we're not going to show you the grade if you don't want to see it. Like, everyone wants to see what grade they got in the test. It's irresistible. And it's not just the likes, it's the followers, it's the comments, it's the views on your story, it's the order of people who view your story. Everything gets obsessive. And and also you can turn your account into a business account and see like, oh, I have an audience that is more heavily female and and concentrated in Brazil and they and they look at my profile in between the hours of 4 and 6 p.m. most. Like if you are a young person in the world, you can know that much about what people think about you. And it's not, um, it's not a real measure of, of how relevant or popular or interesting or exciting your life is. It is a measure of how well you're playing the game. Yeah. So Bloomberg, where you work uh, as the uh, you're in charge of big tech coverage at Bloomberg uh, last week, I want to say, I mean, at least in the end of September, they had an editorial uh, that basically said Instagram is no place for kids. Uh, but also, and I feel like stop me if they canceled this, but Instagram Facebook is literally building an Instagram for kids at a certain point. Are they going to be have are they going to have an obligation under any of the online protection acts that we have for children who use the internet. Like at what point does that, this become more of a liability for them than, than well, anything else? That is certainly something that uh, everyone in Washington is, is uh, up in arms about on both sides of the aisle. We saw, we've seen a lot of screaming matches, a lot of strongly worded emails. The question is, you know, can you stop them from doing it? I, I don't really think that you can, um, and they did they did roll out Messenger Kids, and that of course had a lot of similar concerns and privacy issues. But you know the product is has been relatively successful. We have they, we haven't gotten um, strong numbers, but you know it does exist and it is used. I think Instagram um, it's hard to make an Instagram for kids that doesn't use tons of images of children in it right like instagram is about images right so so i i'm curious to see what that product looks like the thesis is that kids use instagram no matter what so we want to make a safe space for them but instagram hasn't made a very strong effort to root out the under 13 audience on instagram um, they've gotten, they've made a few steps towards better age verification, but it's really easy to find, you know, nine-year-olds hanging out on Instagram and, and just, 
you're using it the way we all use it. Yeah, it sounds a little bit like um, what the tobacco industry had to deal with. Again, like uh, underage smoking was not considered a very good thing. It happened absolutely, and and they got dinged for you know not doing enough to stop it, and and it wasn't particularly healthy for anyone involved in it. Right, right. I, I think that that's um, that though is a very highly regulated industry now, and this social media industry. I mean, how do you even regulate it? It's it's speech by people. You know, if you if you are the government, you say, well, we don't want um, Facebook to show anyone anti-vaccine misinformation. Well, then you have to define that. It's it it just gets really complicated, and um, in that category, of course, the science has changed over the course of of many months. Um, it's it's a tricky problem to solve, but what I hope happens when people read the book is they understand the infrastructure of these products, the motivations of these executives, the um, the grow-at-all-cost mentality at Facebook, and are able to make healthier decisions for themselves, like informed decisions about how they want to use the products with you know some level of, of intention, and maybe that's a, a way to help it'd be healthier. All right. So to make an informed decision, you have got to be informed. And the book is no filter. Uh, it won a bunch of best book awards last year, right? Like NPR and the economist, I think McKinsey, right? Yeah. It was the financial times McKinsey business book of the year, which was very exciting. Very cool. Yeah. And it is, uh, it's out in paperback now. Uh, and folks can get it anywhere, I guess. Anywhere, anywhere books are sold, eBooks, audiobooks. It's there. Sick. And then where can folks find you? I am on Twitter and Instagram and everywhere that people are on the internet these days. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. Thank you, Sarah. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much to Sarah for coming on. The book, No Filter, can be found wherever books are sold. Uh, if you enjoy this podcast, if you like it, do us a favor and, and rate it or review it. And uh, hey, thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.